Welcome to the Voices in Japan podcast with Ben and Burke. On this episode, we are joined by Peter from Vancouver, Canada. Peter is a listener of the podcast who reached out and said he was interested in being on the show to share about his experiences with traveling to Japan. He has been here a total of five times. His last time was actually just a few months ago, and he has been to many parts of the country and has some helpful tips for planning a trip to Japan and also information about the tools you can use to enjoy your visit while you are here. Peter also has a YouTube channel with videos that highlight his trips to Japan and also to other parts of Asia, so please check that out. We'll put a link to his YouTube channel in the episode description. If you'd also like to be a guest on the podcast to share some fun or interesting information that you have about Japan, please send us an email at voicesinjapan at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. Yeah, pretty much on lockdown. I think like we're allowed to like, you can go outside and go for walks and all that kind of stuff. But they're saying like, you got to stay six feet away from everybody at the minimum. And um, yeah, we're trying not to go out like grocery shopping very often. Like we do just like a once a week kind of trip. Generally, we mask up when we go there and all that kind of stuff, which is a little strange, especially for Canada and Japan. I've seen that a lot. Obviously, people wearing masks, but it's not really much of a thing here in Canada. But it's slowly becoming more and more normal, I guess. How long, uh, how long have you been in that situation? Uh, I think it sort of started around when our spring break here for like high schools and stuff started. So around the second week or so of uh, March, things have been kind of locked down. Oh, that's quite long. Yeah, it's been it's been a while now. I think we're at six weeks now or so. Yeah, so, we're, we're not really on lockdown technically. Like we mm-hmm. can, but it sounds like similar to Canada, like we can go out um, grocery shopping um, a lot of people are still like going to parks and going for mm-hmm. walks, stuff like that. Yeah, like it's it's sort of the same thing here. I think it's like what we're allowed to do and what we're like suggested to do are like two very different things. Like technically we can go and I mean, technically you can go wherever you want almost in a sense. Um, but they're definitely like recommending that you stay six feet away from everyone and uh, try not to go outside your house other than like going for walks and only do it with people in the same household and all that sort of stuff. But I think legally you're allowed to like go hang out in groups if you wanted to. But I, I think most people have been following sort of all the, the rules and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What's the sense? Are people kind of getting obviously cabin fever is a lot of uh, kind of pickup of people wanting the lockdown to end or. Yeah, there's it's definitely like, I would say like in like the last week or so, especially I've definitely noticed people are getting a little bit more antsy. Um, I think it's because a lot of the other I mean, Canada has provinces, um, basically the same thing as like states and prefectures and all that. Um, and some of the provinces have started opening up a little bit more or, or they've announced plans to start opening up. Um, and BC, where I'm from, uh, has sort of said essentially nothing about what the plan is for opening stuff up yet. Uh, I think we're going to start, I think, I think at least that we're going to start opening some stuff up in the next week or so, the next week or two, just like a couple of things, like at least like, you know, you can go to like a physiotherapist, for example, or like a dentist appointment if you need one or, you know, all that stuff. Because everything is, all of those things even are closed right now. But yeah. I don't expect like restaurants and all that to open up anytime soon. 
Sounds uh, sounds kind of similar to, I guess, what they're doing in the U.S. with some places starting to op- open up now, or I guess yeah. they started opening from last week and stuff. But yeah, exactly. I think it's kind of similar. The whole Japan situation is definitely like a bit more interesting because I've just been, I mean, just listening to you guys and everything about like how things can't actually be closed down. They're just kind of suggesting things closing down. Yeah, now it's like a, it's like Golden Week now in mm-hmm. Japan, which is like oh, it's one Golden Week most, right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's one of the most popular times to travel. Mm-hmm. So like this weekend, especially, like the the weather's like amazing. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to stop people from going out. So I just went for a walk yesterday, just around the neighborhoods, and the cherry blossoms are starting to come out now. So I not not too many people, but there were. Mm-hmm families walking around and it just kind of felt like things were back to normal in a way yeah but even though people shouldn't be going out and there was like an uh, an alert on our phones that was sent out from the hokkaido government about around about i think it was like 7 p.m did you get that back last night i didn't but i have them turned off on my phone maybe i should turn it on so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so mine and my my wife's phone went off around about the same time like 7 p.m just from the Hokkaido government saying that, you know, don't go out. If you're, uh, if you're from Sapporo, don't leave Sapporo. And if you're around Hokkaido, don't come into Sapporo. So yeah, that was, uh, that was quite interesting because apart from that alert, the last one was when, uh, North Korea sent a missile over Hokkaido. That oh, was wow. the last time we received an alert like that. So my wife kind of got quite panicky. Business, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're in Vancouver then, or yeah, Vancouver, Canada. Okay, but you've uh, you've been to Japan quite a few times, or a few times. Yeah, I think I've been to Japan about five times now. Oh wow! Uh, Like uh, all around the same period, or throughout your life, or Uh, all of them throughout the last like since two thousand and I want to say fifteen was the first time. So pretty much every year uh, since two thousand and fifteen, it's sort of just after the first vacation, I just really liked it, and it just became a easy place to go it's it's relatively easy to fly there from vancouver it's just there's like three direct flights every day it's it's interesting because flying to japan sometimes is the same cost as flying across canada like flying from vancouver to toronto the flights are like absurdly expensive sometimes and flying to japan is a similar price which is wow i don't know what kind of prices are you paying if you don't mind me asking to fly Uh, to japan i mean like i think the best deal i ever got was like 580 canadian dollars which is like like four i don't know like 450 american or like less than 500 for sure american that's a return flight the return flight direct on ana and like which is a great airline i'm sure you guys know yeah yeah like to fly like ANA or JAL, they're pretty mm-hmm. much the same. To fly back to England would be like three or four times that mm-hmm. for a return flight. But going from England to Japan is a bit cheaper. Okay, always flying from Japan, it always seems to cost more. We got the ANA flight. Like I think the first time when I went to Japan, that's why we ended up going was because ANA just opened up routes, like direct routes from Vancouver to Japan that time uh, in 20, I think they opened them up in like 2014. So we flew in 2015. And yeah, I think the first time we flew, we paid like six something Canadian, like six fifty Canadian, which was at the time really cheap. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. I don't know. They, I, I guess it's the competition, or I think it's a it's a major like um, stopover point for a lot of flights from a place like Vancouver because we're on the west coast of Canada and and like the west coast of North America. So there's a lot of flights that kind of go onwards from Japan um, for us, and it's kind of a good stopover because it's so did- nine hours, I believe. 
Uh, that's manageable yeah. for sure. So did you just mm-hmm. notice uh, the good pricing and you decided to go to Japan or did you have interest in Japan before that? Definitely. Like I had an interest, like when I was like younger, for sure. Like just the same reason why I'm sure a lot of people do is just, you know, anime and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. Um, but it just kind of went into the back burner. And then one of my friends uh, basically just messaged me one day and was like, Hey, do you want to go to Japan? They have all these crazy cheap flights. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm down with that. I mean, I haven't thought about it for a little while. Let's let's do it. Why not? And then uh, since the very first trip, I just really enjoyed it. And then it sort of became an ongoing thing. Where did you guys go on that uh, the first trip? Uh, the first trip, we mostly stayed in Tokyo just because, you know, it was the first time we've... And that was, that was sort of my first big, um, like, international trip that I've done. Like, I mean, I've done, like, other trips, but that was, like, the first, like, it was just me and one of my friends. We were 24 at the time or something like that. And so we were, you know, it was new to us. So we just mostly stayed in Tokyo that time. I think it was mostly just to take the train, to be honest. We ended up going to Osaka for literally one night which in hindsight is the most ridiculous thing to do. But we just wanted to take the bullet train. So we literally hopped on the train, went to Osaka, stayed for one night and then came back. Um, but yeah, the rest of the time we just stayed in Tokyo. We stayed uh, like near Shibuya pretty much the entire trip. Yeah. What did you do like on your, your first night there when you arrived? I guess you, there's, was there a, there's a time difference? So you must have been kind yeah, of jet lagged. So it's yeah, it's it's interesting because like the flights that we take out of here, they leave in the afternoon here, and then we sort of arrive the next day in the like evening time. So I think the first the first trip we did, we went and we just landed, looked for our Airbnb at the time, which took us forever because we didn't have any internet or anything like that. Like we just didn't think to like get a SIM card or anything <laughs> like that at the time. So we were just like, we have no internet. We can't read any of the signs. And we're, we thought we're like, okay, it's fine. We can, you know, look on the Airbnb thing. It'll have directions thinking we could just look for the street names. Yeah. Not knowing at the time that there's no streets in Japan. Like, <laughs> like they don't have street names. And I was like, I was like, I don't understand. Everything in the instructions was just about taking a left turn when you get to the 7-Eleven. And, you know, there's like a thousand 7-Eleven. So that was not exactly helpful. Um, so it took us a little while, but we eventually found the place. I think we just went out for food, got some udon and then head to bed. That was kind of our first night. Yeah. A lot of people, whenever we go on like business trips, especially to Tokyo, because like Tokyo, it's one of those major cities, but just like you said, there aren't any street names. Everything's labeled by the block in mm-hmm. Tokyo. Everything is so irregularly shaped that a block isn't necessarily a block. So yeah, whenever we go there for business trips, we always uh, carry a, uh, one of the cards from the hotel that has the address on it. So we can just jump in a taxi and, uh, and show them the card. And that's the easiest mm-hmm. way to get back because, yeah, it's really hard to kind of navigate and stuff and find, find your way around, when, uh, especially in a city like Tokyo, but anywhere in Japan, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely, I think the next day after that, we went out and got some SIM cards and Google Maps was like a lifesaver. And even now, like, I've, I mean, I've been to Tokyo a bunch of times. So, I, I mean, I know the city a lot better, but I feel like having Google Maps is definitely indispensable as a tourist in Japan. What other place have you been to apart from Tokyo and Osaka? Uh, so, after, I mean, the first trip, we just kind of stayed in one area. But over my five trips, I've been all over the place. So Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, Hiroshima... Fukuoka, 
um, all over uh, a bunch of places in Kyushu, actually Kumamoto, Beppu, where else did we go? Nikko, I've been, Kanazawa, Kamakura. Yeah, just all, uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of places, actually. I think you've been to more places than I've been to in Japan. That's, <laughs> I've been, you know I've been to a few of those on your list, but there's a few of those, yeah, I've, I've never been to before. How about you, Burke? You've been to any of those that he's been to? I've been to some of them, but not all of them for sure, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of places, actually, and I'd like to hear more, Peter, about which place you enjoyed most. But yeah, my next destination is definitely down to Kyushu. I think there's a lot of great places down in Kyushu that I really want to see and enjoy. But uh, amongst those places that you just mentioned, Peter, which which one, uh, which place, uh, I guess, was the most interesting? Well, I think it's like, it's it's great that you mentioned like Kyushu because this was my first time ever going to Kyushu it was just this last trip. I was, I was actually in Japan before all the whole uh, crazy pandemic stuff hit. I was just there in February. Oh, wow. And this was my first time heading to Kyushu. So we went to Fukuoka and we kind of stayed in Fukuoka as like our home base. And then we traveled around a little bit in Kyushu. Like we went to Kumamoto and we went to Beppu. And I would definitely say like Fukuoka is, is a place to go for sure. Especially like there's, especially for tourists. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as like a tourist. There's a lot less, there's a lot less tourism there. Um, and there's definitely a lot less Western tourism. I mean, you'll definitely notice like the more Asian tourists I find there, but the the English there is definitely way lower than everywhere else in Japan as far as major cities go, um, which makes for, I think I personally think makes for a, a bit more of an exciting and spontaneous trip sometimes. Um, and the food is really amazing. Uh, the yatais there, like the little street um, eateries are, it's kind of cool because there's not really much street food culture in Japan, I would say. Um, it's not like a huge thing. So the yatais are definitely interesting because it's a bit more unique compared to like anything you'll get in Tokyo or Osaka or Kyoto or any of those other cities. And it's really easy to do all the day trips. Did you guys get uh, pretty adventurous with food as well? Yeah, we've, I've, I've, I've been pretty crazy with food in Japan. I think uh, this trip I had some horse sashimi, which was interesting, some <laughs> raw horse. Um, I've done some semi raw chicken, I guess, where it's like just like seared on the outsides that was my first ever kind of Japanese food that I had when I when I came to Japan. Yeah, it was, it's a bit freaky when you see it at first. Yeah, you're like this. It it felt it it literally felt raw. Like I, it was like almost like instinct was telling me, "Don't do it, don't do <laughs> yeah, it." Yeah, but it's actually pretty good. What What do you it's, think? Did you like yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's actually it doesn't taste like chicken though. It's really interesting that like chicken raw tastes completely different than chicken cooked. It yeah, it's, it's not it how you how you would imagine it to taste. No, you'd think it would be like a lot more slimy, um, but it actually chews pretty well. Maybe it's because it's so thin, but it was it was actually pretty good. I, I didn't mind it. Yeah, I liked it. Have you tried that book, the the raw chicken? Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I've tried it. You know, I have a horrible experience. I was forced to eat it a couple times. Uh, yeah, and again, I enjoyed it just because it was like doused in a lot of soy sauce and everything. I think that's the other thing. I think you just mostly taste the soy sauce and whatever else is on there. Yeah, like uh, as soon as I put it in my mouth and like, yeah, I was the slimy feeling about it. It was immediately like, okay, there's raw chicken in my mouth. Mm-hmm. and uh, But let me just drink a lot and uh, force the rest of this down and I should probably be okay. How are you guys like communicating or ordering at restaurants? Do you do you have like a little Japanese or are people using like translators a lot now? I think my, so my first trip, I spoke, I could say konnichiwa in the most 
you know, Western accent ever. Essential. Um, essential. <laughs> I think that's all I had. Um, but that was literally all I knew. So it was actually, I would say it was, it was quite difficult the first trip. Um, it definitely limited like the places we could go because we would intentionally kind of avoid places that felt very, um, I don't want to say unfriendly, but un, not approachable for foreigners, I would say. There's definitely like a lot of places that like, you know, you know how in Tokyo there's, I'm sure Sapporo is probably the same way. The restaurant is eight stories high and there's a different restaurant each floor. I don't think we would ever try to go on to like the restaurant on the seventh floor because we were too terrified of exiting the elevator and not being able to speak Japanese and, you know, <laughs> just, just getting confused out there. So that was definitely tough. And then because of that, though, on my subsequent trips, I studied a little bit of Japanese. I mean, I'm not like fluent by any means, but I was able to like read hiragana and katakana and a very small amount of kanji. Um, and I can speak a little bit of, you know, basic conversation stuff. And I would say it definitely opens the door up as far as getting to try more experiences. I think traveling Japan without speaking any Japanese is totally doable. And Japanese people are the, the kindest and like most um, helpful people you'll ever meet as far as like going out of their way to help you out. So there's no, there's no like problem with traveling without any Japanese, but speaking a little bit of Japanese definitely opens up a lot of opportunities in Japan, I would say. How would you, how did you normally like find places to go and eat? Like, cause usually when I travel, I normally use TripAdvisor a lot and, and choose their recommended restaurants, mm -hmm. but they're always like way too busy and, you know, kind of touristy. So you don't really get that local feel. Yeah. So I, I, I try and avoid that. The, the best resource first off is the Japan travel subreddit because it's just full of people that are traveling in Japan. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there that's helpful. Um, and through that, I learned about like Guru Navi and table log or table log or however you pronounce it. And I've, which are like the Japanese equivalents of Yelp. Right. Um, so that's basically what I used a lot of to find some good food. Man, that's, that's some really good advice, actually. Like, I've never thought of using, like, a subreddit for, for traveling. But I guess mm. you can use that for, for anywhere you travel to now. Is that, is that what you do? Like, not uh, just Japan? Yeah, if, I, if I'm going to travel anywhere, I definitely always check to see if they have, like, a, a Reddit page. Like, Vancouver has a Reddit page, for example. And then the second thing is I check to see if they have, like, a Reddit page that is, like, specific to travel, um, which there's a Japan travel one, and it's just... It's, a, it's an amazing resource, I would say. I always post there. And you can, you know, people do like little meetups and stuff. I've traveled Japan solo a couple of times. Um, and it's nice to meet up with like other people that are traveling solo while they're there. Um, it's definitely a good resource, I'd say. For, uh, for accommodations, were you doing mostly Airbnb? And if so, like, uh, were those uh, owned by Japanese people? I think I only did an Airbnb actually the very first trip. Yeah, the first trip I did an Airbnb. And then after that, I mostly did hostels. But the Airbnb we did was owned by a Japanese dude. And he was, we, I mean, we only saw him like once, I think, ever. Um, because he had to come and fix something in the apartment while we were there. But otherwise, it was a totally like, there was like a little locker that we had the code to to get the key. So it, the Airbnb experience was really fun. It was, was fine. It was really good. Um, but then after that, because I had been traveling solo, I ended up doing hostels in Japan, which was cheap and amazing. And it's not like hostels in other countries. It's definitely a lot cleaner and uh, safer feeling, I would say. 
Were you finding those like on a travel site or was that also through the uh, Reddit? Uh, some of the stuff I found through the Reddit and some of it was just through like hostel world. Um, yeah, just kind of wherever I was able to, I mean, like sometimes it was just like last minute, like um, the trip when we ended up going to Kanazawa, it was because we were planning to go to Hiroshima that day, but there was a giant, like um, there was like flooding happening in Hiroshima. So we decided, you know, that morning, basically we called the hostel and said, oh, we, we, we like to cancel our, our reservation. And they said, that's totally fine because there was like flooding going on. They didn't charge us anything. And then we went to Kanazawa and just quickly Google searched a place and found a place to stay. Which, uh, which do you normally prefer? Do you prefer traveling solo or like with a friend? Because I, I kind of like traveling solo a lot and like doing what you do, staying at hostels, meeting random people. Hopefully some Japanese people, because you sometimes find some Japanese mm-hmm. people in those hostels, and then they seem to know a little bit more about the area as well, just because they're Japanese, and they end up taking you to some interesting places that you would never have considered. So, uh, yeah, how, how about yourself? Well, I'm married now, and my wife, uh, now when I go to Japan, I usually go with my wife to, to Japan, because um, she also loves Japan. Um, but I definitely prefer to travel like solo versus with friends, I would say. Just because, like you said, you you tend to meet a lot more people when you're when you're forced to kind of like you have to talk to people. You're not going to just sit there alone for you know two weeks or however long you're in Japan. You're going to have to talk to somebody. So it, traveling alone kind of forces you into that mindset. Um, and I definitely like the hostels because, like you said, you can meet people and you can meet Japanese people. One of my favorite hostels. I don't know if I should say the name because I don't want to give it away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say in, in, in Tokyo, my favorite hostel is uh, the Nui Hostel, N-U-I. It's really good because uh, they've got like a bar downstairs, like a bar cafe lounge kind of thing. Um, and it's frequented by like, a lot of locals all the time. So I've definitely met people at that place uh, and then ended up going out with them for the night. Do you have any unique experiences you could share with us about one of those nights out or something? I think like, I remember this one guy took me out. He's like, he's like, oh, let's go here. And it was like this random izakaya that was in like a back alley. And it said, and and it was one of those places that on the sign said no foreigners. So, mm-hmm. you know. Um, wow. So they still exist. Those they places. still, they definitely still exist. I would say, like, I, but I, I think it's like I almost this. Is, and this is what my friend told me. He said the places that say no foreigners aren't actually like no foreigners. It's just that they don't want to deal with people that don't speak Japanese or like non regulars. Essentially, like it's more of like a members only kind of place. Um, but I went with him, and he obviously knew the place really well. Um, so that was really interesting. And then we ended up. I think that was the first time I had beef tongue, which was yeah. interesting. Now, now it's become not as weird, but at the time, it was a little interesting. That might have been the first time I had raw chicken as well. I think <laughs> so, uh, we definitely ate a lot of weird foods there. So even though they had the sign out, and I think just like you're saying, usually it's like maybe that place has had a bad experience in the past, or they just don't have staff that could probably give like good enough service for foreigners. They may think like it's best foreigners might have a better experience elsewhere or something. So it's not always like out of a bad feeling that they may have that sign out on the door, but they, nothing came up when you guys tried going. No, they, they totally like, I guess maybe because I went with him, but they totally didn't say anything. They they did not speak of like a lick of English in the place for sure. I didn't, although I didn't try to speak English with them because I felt like, you know, I was invited to this place. I shouldn't try to push things, <laughs> but no, it was, it was everyone there was really friendly. 
it was, it was a great experience for sure. Was there anything when you did come over that like surprised you? I mean, was it everything you kind of had in your mind about Japan or was it very, very different when you first started coming over here? I mean, to be honest, I think that, and this has changed in the last five years even, but especially in Tokyo, but the thing that surprised me the most was the lack of English. Like, I mean, I had known that like, oh, there's not that much English in Japan. The first time when I went, it felt to me like maybe like in Tokyo, maybe 5% max of the population could speak English. And then as soon as you left Tokyo, it felt like 1% of the population can speak English. And then as soon as you leave a main city, it's like 0.1% of the population can speak English. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of weird because I mean, I've been to like, I've been to Korea, I've been to Taiwan and the amount of English there is just like through the roof compared to Japan. Like, even if you go to like a smaller city in Taiwan, I would definitely say like, you know, the average person can speak a couple words, maybe of English. Whereas in Japan, it felt like they couldn't, they couldn't say anything more than hello in a lot of the cities. Was that the same the, the last time you visited back in, uh, back in February? No, I'd say Tokyo especially has way more English and like so many more signs in English. Um, the, uh, like at combinis and stuff like that, the people speak a little bit of English often. A lot of the yeah, I think I think because they were like, so yeah. That, also, they were gearing up for the the Olympics. Yeah, that's what I've heard actually. So it's it's definitely like the English in Tokyo was like through the roof. Um, in Fukuoka, not so much. Yeah, would you say? I mean, because now that it sounds like the first time you came over, you guys, you know, enjoyed the big city area in Tokyo, and and you kind of get, started to go to other places uh, since that first trip. Like, what would you recommend for people? Would you recommend if they're coming over, they just have one chance? They definitely see things that everyone talks about, like Tokyo, or is it worth getting away to some of those other slightly more remote places like uh, Kyushu? And I think, like, if it was, like, your first trip to Japan, I would still recommend sort of doing, like, the golden route of, like, doing, like, Tokyo, hopping on, like, getting getting the JR Pass, which is amazing if you're a foreigner. Um, I don't know if you guys, I mean, you, I'm sure you've had foreign friends coming over. So you guys probably know about the JR Rail Pass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Long time ago, used it. Too, yeah. yeah, so it's amazing, right? You pay like, like, you know, $300 or something like that, Canadian, and you get to travel unlimited on, on the rails for a week on any JR line. Um, so I would recommend like grabbing one of those, doing Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, Hiroshima. And then the only difference I would say is on the way back home, like on the, back home, on the way back to Tokyo, head up to Kanazawa and kind of do like a little circle there to get it out of the main route. Uh, but I think like as a, as a first time visitor, I think you should definitely do like the Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka route, just because you don't want to have that FOMO of like coming to Japan and then not seeing the main cities. It's sort of be like coming to America for the first time and not going to New York. I mean, you got to hit the spots. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I kind of recommend that to all my friends that come mm-hmm. to Japan as well. Like at least you got to go to Tokyo and Kyoto. I mm-hmm. think just because they're the most popular exactly. destinations. Yeah. And, and like, and to be honest, best sites. yeah, for me personally, like I don't love Kyoto um, just cause I feel like it is too touristy now at this point. And it just feels like there's a lot of, I don't want to say rude, but like entitled tourists there, I would say. Um, and it's just kind of over, it's been overtaken by tourism. Um, so that's one thing I would say that like is, is a bit of a disappointing like this, like a disappointing place to visit is, is Kyoto just because of how overrun it is with tourism. 
uh, and Kanazawa, I think, or or is is a little bit. You still get that old town feel, uh, but it's way less busy. So I'd recommend that place for sure. Before you came to Japan, what um what were your like initial impressions of Japan or Japanese people? I feel like for Japan, it was sort of like it's like a technological wonderland in a sense. Um, is sort of what you're told here in the West, especially growing up in the '90s. It's sort of like, oh, Japan has everything. Like ten years in the future, which coming to Japan is like sort of true, but it's it almost like the, the way I describe it to people, it's sort of like it's what you imagine 2020 would be like if you were in if you were in like during the 1980s. So if it was the if it was the 80s and somebody said, what are what's like the future going to be like? That's what Japan is. So it's kind of like futuristic, but in like a weird way, in a sense. Like it's like, oh, this is great. They have all, they have these contactless cards, the Suica cards, and the Pasmo, and all these things. But it's like, okay, but it's like a cash card. Like why wouldn't you just use a credit card like we have everywhere else in the world? And it's like, oh, they have automated doors, but like you have to press a button on the door to open the door, and you're like, I don't understand this. And it's it's like they had all this stuff first before we had it here. But it's kind of like a bizarro version of of everything, in a sense, um, is what is how I would describe what ended up happening when I came to Japan. What about? Uh, I mean, you've been over here a few a lot of times. Uh, do you do a lot of shopping over here, like gifts and stuff, or omiyage to take home and everything? What do you usually get while you're here in Japan? I think we we the first trip I definitely got a lot more stuff, but uh, in my subsequent trips, I, the whole omiyage thing has become more of just like candies and some confectionery because that's just the easiest thing to get um usually what we do is on you know the second last or the last day we make a trip out to to a donkey to don quixote and just get some kit kats and some you know other little pockies and other little things um that we can bring back it's it's become a little bit less exciting i would say because we have a lot more of that available here in vancouver now we have a very large uh asian population here in vancouver and we have a very large Japanese population as well. Um, and so there's a, I mean, we have a bunch of Japanese stores where you're able to get pretty much everything that you're able to get there. Uh, just at a, I mean, at a premium, of course. Uh, so it's a little bit less exciting. So it's more of like a, just for the thought. So we, we mostly just get cheap stuff, now, to be honest, because it's just easier. Yeah, I guess now like uh, some of the good gifts, maybe little things that you might not be able to get uh, back overseas, like if you go visit a temple and get like a, old, a small omamori or something, like a small mm-hmm. token or something from the temple, maybe those are kind of still some of the very unique things. That, yeah, because even in my hometown in Ann Arbor, Michigan, like there's mm-hmm. a lot of Asian markets. And uh, when I lived in San Francisco, obviously there's Japantown there. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they definitely have everything, a lot of the major stuff and candies and everything that, you know, it used to be a little bit more novel when you came to Japan and stuff, but were there quite a any kind of cultural habits that surprised you when you came to japan i I guess you studied up a bit about japanese culture before you came here so you probably learned about like you know taking your shoes off at the door and how to how to bow and stuff like that was there anything that surprised you when you came here i would say like the thing the things that were like weird because it's like you know like you you look up the the things like you said like oh take your shoes off at certain places and you can kind of figure that stuff out 
I think the weirdest thing when I first went there was the every time you enter the shop and they and they greet you. And then I always felt like I had to say something back, but I didn't know what to say. So I just remember, you know, every time I walked in this up and they would say like, and then I'd just be like, Arigato. And they'd be like, hey, this guy's saying thank you. So I remember the first trip, I was just like constantly was just saying, you know, and again, because that was my first trip there, I spoke zero Japanese in the most Western tone. I would just look at them, bow deeply and say, Arigato. <laughs> they would look at me like oh, I had some sort of issue. That's um, exactly the same thing I did when I first came yeah, here it, too. Just, it felt awkward, right? Like, I mean, they're saying, they're saying welcome to you. So I feel like I had to say something back to them. Yeah. I couldn't just ignore them. I, I actually asked my wife that the other day because, you know, I, I still, we still get it now when you go into a shop, they say, Yashomase. And mm-hmm. then, everyone just ignores them. Right. And yeah. I, I kind of always feel like I should say something because they're, mm. they're being polite. And my wife said, yeah, just, just ignore them. That's, that's all you're supposed to do. But I feel like I want to say thank you. Cause I can, in Western countries, people usually say, you know, how are you doing? Can I help you kind of mm-hmm. thing? And they usually respect, expect a, a response. response. Yeah. hundred percent in Japan. Yeah. No, no response is fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely still do like the the head nod thing every time. Like every single time I walk in, I'm like, yes, thank you. I'm here to shop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would Japan ever, living in Japan, ever seem like a possibility for you? Or We've definitely talked about it, actually, um, about like coming to Japan at some point. And I think we've both sort of discussed like if we were to ever move to Japan, I don't think either one of us would want to work for a Japanese company. I think we would sort of want to be either self-employed or still working in Canada, but just working remote, which might be a possibility for us. So maybe one day that would be something for us to look into, like more of a short-term thing. I don't think, I don't think either of us sees settling in Japan as like the goal, but maybe like living there for a year or two just to kind of experience it. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. <laughs> Is that what you guys did? Yeah, I was I was on the one year plan. It's now turned into seventeen years. Ben, <laughs> yeah, I was on a two year plan, and mine's twelve years now. So yeah, I think once you have a little taster, a little dip, is is sometimes quite hard to leave, and it happens to a lot of people, especially I think people that come to Sapporo because it's not as overwhelming as being in Tokyo. I feel mm-hmm. like Tokyo can be a bit overwhelming for for first timers in Japan. Mm-hmm. So have you guys ever lived outside of Sapporo or just have you been in Sapporo this whole time? I haven't. I've only lived in Sapporo, but I think Burke's lived in a few other places. Yeah, I studied at a small uh, Japanese university in Mieken, which is down uh, near Aichi. And uh, and also, I mean, the place I was living was an hour ride from both Osaka and from Nagoya. So I went to those two cities a little bit. And then I lived in... Uh, well, I didn't really, I guess I kind of lived in Tokyo for about three months one time. I was staying down there for a while, but I wasn't really doing the hustle and bustle of taking the subways and everything early in the morning. So I didn't have to deal with it too much, but I was there during the summertime, which just like you kind of mentioned earlier, was a bit of a nightmare because of the heat and humidity and stuff. But uh, mm. but I do kind of feel like I, I only know Sapporo uh, very well, which is kind of interesting because no matter which city you live in, a lot of people say it has like a different feel can almost be a different country sometimes so yeah i can i feel like i can only speak mostly about sapporo yeah sapporo definitely is like on my list of places to go just because i've heard so much about how 
it's it's a lot different than the rest of japan like it's just it's a lot more of a relaxing atmosphere and like people say like oh osaka is a lot more laid back than tokyo but it's still pretty crazy out there in osaka i would say uh so i definitely want to check out sapporo because people from fukuoka had said um sapporo is kind of like fukuoka except colder yeah like, lifestyle wise at least is um is hokkaido quite well known in uh in canada because i remember before i came to japan i'd never heard of hokkaido being from england it was always only like tokyo kyoto osaka but i would say like hokkaido nobody knows where hokkaido is people know sapporo just because of the beer um sapporo is i mean a very popular beer here in canada i think people know sapporo but they have no idea where it is and they definitely most people i would say most people in like in canada at least don't realize that japan is not like one i they think it's one island they don't realize that there's like multiple islands and when i tell like i when i was telling friends out oh i'm going to i'm going to go to kyushu this time in japan and they'd be like oh like what city is that i'm like no 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 that's the other island in japan don't <laughs> you know they're like no they don't they don't know what it is that's the same um, with british people too i think generally yeah i would say people's knowledge about like geography in japan is definitely uh they don't really know where anything is they just know all they know like you said is is kyoto osaka and and Tokyo and that's that's pretty much it. Well, I guess one thing I'd I'd, I'd want to ask you guys is sort of like like after living in like Japan for this long, what are like the main things that um like I I know I know you guys have like talked about like your complaints about living in Japan, but like what are the main things on a day-to-day you'd say that like kind of annoy you, I would say about living in Japan versus living in um america or england day-to-day things what really annoys me i don't know if it's because of the the situation now of being at home all the time but um but japanese tv really Mm. annoys me because it's always kind of similar shows they're like variety shows Do you know what variety shows are peter yeah i've definitely i've I've definitely watched some japanese tv while i was in japan and yeah i feel like everything's about food yeah, yeah. So pretty much every station is a variety show where they're trying food, they're eating food, and they're basically commenting about how delicious this kind of ramen is. And it's pretty much every station that does that every day, the same people, the same comedians. And yeah, I find that really annoying sometimes. So I try not to watch TV so much. I don't really watch it that much anyway, but I try to switch mm-hmm. it off. It's funny you bring up TV because they, I was listening to an interview the other day by a form, uh, uh, interview of a foreign person who works in the entertainment industry in Japan, and she was explaining that um, there's a lot of variety shows where they like uh, have stories about things that happened overseas in like the U.S. or somewhere in Europe, and they're just these crazy outlandish stories, and some of them are true actually. Um, but she was saying that a lot of those variety shows, and it's well known in the industry that they completely create and fabricate like all those stories. And, uh, and this isn't like a big, like secret or anything. Apparently, I mean, it was to me, but apparently a lot of people know that. And, uh, but they still like, you know, the purpose of the show isn't necessarily to talk about something true but it's just to be as entertaining as possible so all those people on the variety show they're like commenting about how crazy like this thing is that happened overseas like person who was nuts like robbed a store and then you know kidnapped a child or something like crazy stories like this like some of them are true but some of them are completely fabricated they were saying and and uh but it's just for the success of the tv show so that was pretty surprising to hear but yeah that's news to me too so a lot of those are just exaggerated 
dramas. Yeah, completely. But entertainment. Uh, yeah. But uh, I guess for my thing, everyday things, uh, well, there's been a couple things, actually. <laughs> I don't want to com- be complaining all the time again. But uh, one thing is uh, the uh, when you go and see doctors in Japan, a lot of times they'll just say, all right, well, let's just see how this goes, and we'll decide about it later. It's called a yosumi. yosumi. Just kind of means like let's see how this develops and then we'll decide if if it's required to do something or not and this is for small things little things large things and the reason i bring this up because i was just kind of like talking about with my wife i was like man that's what doctors always say in japan is just like let's see how this goes but if this were in the u.s like they'd want to take care of it right away you know they'd want to try and fix it but then you could argue on the other side that in the u.s they're just always like trying to make some money and so that's like why they want to move ahead with the procedure or something but that's one thing. The other thing I would say is kind of annoying is like, it's just any difficult thing. Like, uh, for example, when we had to buy a house or an apartment in Japan, like that's just a huge undertaking no matter what country you're in. But if you're living overseas in a foreign country, then you've got to like basically learn all about that new thing you're doing, but then also learn about it in a completely another language too. So that can be a huge burden sometimes. But maybe those are the things that are difficult for me. What kind of uh, stuff do you have uh, on your uh, channel? Yeah, usually I post some blogs from, from whenever I'm traveling in Japan and stuff like that. YouTube.com slash Peter Aluolia. Uh, and I'm, I'm currently still like editing and uploading my vlogs from Japan on my last trip. Like I think I've got like 15 vlogs from Taiwan or something like that. Got some stuff from New York and San Francisco. And then recently, because we're all stuck inside, I've been doing some food videos. Oh, no. Nice. Just, just a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Thank you for reaching out. We should actually mention that, that that's uh, how this all uh, came to fruition. You kind of reached out and we were definitely excited to, that you did and uh, that we wanted to do that. And uh, especially to be able to give a perspective of somebody who's been traveling here. Uh, we've kind of forgot that, I think, a little bit over the years and stuff. And, and we encourage uh, other people, too, to definitely get in touch. And uh, we want to share as many experiences as possible. So definitely fun and interesting for us as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That was uh, That was tons of fun. Cool, man. Thanks.